Welcome to Education Beat. I'm Ann Vasquez, Executive Director at EdSource. Childcare workers have long been among the lowest paid workers in the country, even though they play a pivotal role in the lives of children. The pandemic has only made matters worse. Some childcare workers are leaving the profession in search of higher wages. A recent report found that those who have stayed are feeling crushed and frustrated by their circumstances. We're tired. We're tired of being neglected. We're tired of being ignored. We're tired of being undervalued. What can be done to help improve the working conditions of childcare workers? Here is this week's Education Beat with host Zadie Stabley. The job of being a childcare provider fell into Donise Keller's lap a little bit by accident. When she had young children herself, she was working from home doing transcription work. And in order to get work done, she sent her kids to childcare. Because I've always been hands-on, I would pick up the kindergarten students from this woman's childcare and take them to kindergarten at the school and take the school children that were already there back to her facility. Then one day, a teacher at the school asked Danise if she had a childcare herself. She said no. And her response was, well, we know you and your heart, and we see you with the children. We have a teacher here who needs childcare. Would you be interested? And, of course, I took on that task, and the rest is history. People just kept bringing their children to me that year, and I kept saying, okay, I'm, this is not what I do, but they kept coming, so... I got licensed. <laughs> Donise has now been a childcare provider in Antioch in the Bay Area for 22 years. She takes care of eight children in her home. She loves it. I get to help see a child make his first steps or saying their first words. Just yesterday, we were seeing colors and a baby, she's maybe 11 months. And she said green when I said green. That's why you do it. You get to see the difference you're making. When I see a child reading for the first time, when I see the children that can't wait to get here and cry when it's time to go home, and you know that you're loving on a child, that they love you back, and I'm helping someone along. It's been noted that the first five years are the most crucial years in a child's life. They learn so much in such a short period of time. And it's my privilege to be in a front row seat for those times. Still, the working conditions are tough. The hours are long. I open at 6 a.m. and I close at 6 p.m. So that is a 12-hour workday. And that's not including the cleanup after work, um, grocery shopping, uh, supplies, whatever it takes. So I work on average about 70 hours a week. Donise makes less than $20,000 a year. For several years, she went without health insurance and lost two teeth because she couldn't afford dental care. When the pandemic came along, Donise, like many providers, decided she had to close. One of the contributing factors that increased your chances of dying from COVID was, um, well, being Black is one of them, and I'm certainly that. Also, I have asthma. And so because it was an upper respiratory virus, that, that terrified me. So I had to close. And I closed for six months. And after I went through unemployment and what little savings I had, 
I had to open back up because I couldn't survive anymore. And even though they have programs where people didn't have to pay rent, that rent would become due at some point. And I just didn't want to face being evicted. Providing childcare during the pandemic has been stressful. We as childcare providers had to remodel our entire environment. We had to get rid of a lot of toys, like the shared toys the children um, played with, because we didn't want them sharing the toys. Instead, we had to encourage children to play by themselves. And you get five blocks, you get five blocks. And after that, then we're sanitizing and cleaning. Preschool was supposed to be an environment where we're encouraging children to play together. Now we're doing the opposite, encouraging them to play side by side as opposed to playing with one another and getting those skills that children need for school. This is Education Beat, getting to the heart of California schools. This week, childcare providers struggling to survive. According to a new report from the Center for the Study of Childcare Employment at UC Berkeley, the pandemic has worsened working conditions for childcare providers. Many providers have closed. Others have left their jobs in search of higher wages and benefits. During the pandemic, more than one quarter took on credit card debt to fund operations, and more than one third of childcare providers went without paying themselves at some point. Providers say they're struggling to pay mortgage or rent, the median hourly pay for a California childcare worker in 2019 was $13.43, while preschool teachers earned $16.83 and kindergarten teachers earned $41.86. One center director in Los Angeles County said, quote, We are the forgotten ones. My colleague Karen D'Souza wrote about this for EdSource. Good morning, Karen. Good morning, Zadie. Thanks for having me on. So, Karen, what is new about this new study from the Center for the Study of Childcare Employment? That's an interesting question. I mean, in one sense, childcare has been in crisis forever. Um, it's a longstanding problem of um, people being underpaid and working under difficult conditions, and then also parents on the other side not being able to afford childcare, not being able to find childcare. But I think, as with so many critical situations in our society, the pandemic just went ahead and made everything much, much worse. So the problem is deeper. The crisis has really escalated. And I think one thing that was really telling for me when I started working on this story was some of the researchers at the Center for the Study of Childcare Employment was that even they were startled by the level of um, emotional upset they found in the workforce, that people were really feeling desperate and trapped in a cycle of poverty. And they knew, of course, things would be bad and, you know, no one is feeling flush economically, everyone's struggling, but they had no idea how much despair they would find. Donise Keller says the pandemic opened a lot of eyes to the essential work of childcare, but still providers continue to struggle. We had to become teachers. We were the moms away from home. We were the cooks. We were the janitorial service. We're the tutors, we're the counselors teaching. <laughs> we did it all. And with the so many different hats that we as childcare providers wear, how can you not see the essential need for us? And how can you not want to pay back or give back a fraction of what we do? Donise is a member of Childcare Providers United, 
a labor union of providers who receive subsidies from the state to care for low-income children. There's just so much frustration from my sisters and brothers in the union. We do what we do because we love children. I often refer to it as a labor of love, but we're tired. We're tired of being neglected. We're tired of being ignored. Tired of being undervalued. Karen, for me reading this story, one of the things that most stood out to me was the hunger. Absolutely. The statistics are pretty dire, right? So one in three childcare workers is on some kind of public assistance. So, you know, like food stamps. Um, And then one in three are coping with hunger, insufficient um, access to food. So uh, it paints a very clear portrait of who this workforce is. It's predominantly women, predominantly women of color, and predominantly impoverished, right? Like to the point where you can't actually guarantee there's going to be food on the table for yourself and your kids. So um, I think one of the things that was important to point out in this story is that if your kids are in childcare, you have to think about who is giving that childcare. What kind of state is that person in? Um, if they're hungry and stressed out and depressed and anxious, you know, your child's also not getting optimum care because something we know about trauma and stress is that it's infectious. If I have it and I care for you, I can give it to you. Um, so your child's life is directly being impacted. It's this odd irony because childcare is extremely expensive. It's very, very expensive. And so no matter how much you're making, but especially, you know, the farther down you go, because we only have subsidies for the very lowest income families and not even the very lowest income families in California, you know, not even all of them can even access those subsidies. So it's an irony because on the one hand, we're paying a lot for childcare, but That money is not actually translating into better working conditions and better pay for the people who provide that care. Absolutely. But I think, you know, something that comes up a lot, a lot of advocates talk about, you know, many countries subsidize child care so that uh, the government is funding it as if it were a public good, which many would argue it is, much like clean air or libraries or parks, so that the price the actual family has to pay isn't such a burden for the family either, so that both sides of the equation can be elevated. And that's certainly kind of the question before the court right now, right? Like Biden's social safety net bill, which we'll sort of have to see what happens with that. It's kind of stalled in Congress, and parts of it may make its way into other legislation. But the notion behind that was that maybe it is time to subsidize. Maybe both sides need some kind of greater social effort. And can you remind me what would happen if that bill were to pass? How much would be subsidized? So some of the details are a little bit uh, squiggly. And of course, it it probably looks like it won't pass. (laughs) But the notion was to greatly expand subsidies for lower income families and then to cap I think for everyone, it's something like 7% of family income, which is what is sort of widely agreed upon as like a reasonable amount, as opposed to sometimes, you know, as much as you're paying for rent or more than you pay for rent. Right. Many of us are paying 25 to 30% or more of our income on childcare. Yeah, absolutely. So what do the researchers recommend can be done? These researchers and many advocates, they want to see, you know, wide scale social reform, that we shouldn't be putting Band-Aids on an amputated limb, right? We should try to go in and do massive uh, social restructuring, some of which would be under the Biden bill. But of course, that is, you know, that's something that has to be um, arrived at politically, which is harder to do. 
Uh, and especially right now, I mean, I think that there was, um, just from my own perspective, I think there was actually quite a bit of social movement towards everyone agreeing that childcare is a public good, but other things have happened in the world, right? There's the war in the Ukraine and inflation is running rampant. And now there are definitely people on both sides of whether or not we can afford to invest in the social safety net. So as a parent, it just kind of feels like it never happens. Like people keep talking about that there needs to be subsidies or there needs to be something happen where we prioritize early education and care. We keep talking about that, but then the money never gets there. And so it just sort of feels like if you don't have a child under five, you forget about it. Or if you're lucky enough to have family that can help. Yeah, I think that that um, I think that that's true. I guess I didn't realize how privileged I was that my mom was around when I had a little kid and I knew that she would help me out and she loved helping me out. And I just feel so grateful that I was I feel like I won the lottery. Right. It's it's gigantic having that kind of peace of mind. And it's 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 unfortunate that we've created a system where it really is like a private family matter. Like, can you figure out this childcare puzzle? you know, then you're lucky. Great. You have a cousin or a neighbor or something. Otherwise, you know, you're really on your own. I do know, you know, when my when my daughter finally went, when she got into TK, it was huge, huge amount of relief not having to pay for preschool. So there's that window where you're like, wow, this is life changing. <laughs> and then, then when I think it's over, uh, it recedes in people's memories. Um, one of the most potent things for me in this story was someone in there saying, you know, that they've been fighting this fight since the 1970s, that they fought and they've marched and they still don't feel like they're getting any traction. And I think that that is fair to say. Some would say, because this workforce is predominantly women and women of color, they just don't have the same priority status. Yeah. And one of the things that also I always come back to when I'm thinking about, you know, if we were to increase the amount of subsidies in childcare or just subsidized childcare spots in general, we would be able to do so much around segregation in early education. Because right now what we have are you know, some preschools that are state subsidized, and mostly those preschools only serve low income children, you know, Head Start centers and state subsidized preschool. And then we also have some private preschools that only serve full pay children. And there are very, very few centers, there are some, but there are very, very few that offer 30 to 50% of spots for low income kids. And then the other spots for private pay kids so that they can go to school together. But they're very, they're not very many of those. And partly because it's hard to figure out the puzzle of how that works. Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, I mean, also from, from the parents' perspective and the provider's perspective, kind of all the paperwork and all the hoops you have to go through um, to access those subsidies makes it very complicated. I mean, I think that they're talking about... Um, you know, like increasing the rate, the reimbursement rate and beefing up healthcare access, but they'll have to be, you know, negotiated with the state of California, right? Like the notion of like creating retirement plans is something that a lot of people care about right now. Some of those recommendations would only benefit providers who are actually subsidized, which, you know, we only have a certain number of subsidized spots in California and it's not, it's not nearly enough. It wouldn't be widespread. I mean, I think that the notion is it's sort of the low-hanging fruit. Like, you create the change wherever you can create the change. And then you try to sort of ripple it forward because you reset people's expectations and also raise awareness. I think a lot of people just simply have no idea 
you know, that a TK teacher might get paid differently even than a child care worker. They just don't know. Denise says she just wants providers to be compensated fairly and respected for the work they do. We are taking care of your most precious possession, which is your child. And quite frankly, I personally could not put a dollar wage on it. We as child care providers are their second home. The person that's helping them to reach their milestones, teaching them to read, changing their diapers, helping them to walk. And you really can't put a price on that. But collectively as a whole society has not valued us for what we do. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Education Beat, Getting to the Heart of California Schools, a production of EdSource. Our producer is Kobe McDonald. Special thanks to Donise Keller, Karen D'Souza, and our director, Ann Vasquez. Our theme music is from Blue Dot Sessions. This episode was brought to you by the Heising Simons Foundation. I'm Zadie Stavely. Join me next week and subscribe.